belongs in the guest room. Thank you. Well, this morning we're in, um, we're continuing our series. We're calling it the, the Songs of Christmas. And in this series, we're, we're looking at um, four of the songs that we find in Luke's gospel in the first two chapters. Uh, so that's what we'll be this morning. We're going to look at Zechariah's song today. And uh, Zechariah's song, as you'll see from your, uh, your sermon outline, is a call to unwavering hope. And we'll dig deep into that uh, as we kind of go along this morning. Uh, one of the things that um, my family did growing up is we, most of our families have these traditions, these Christmas traditions, and one of the things that we did as a family is we used to watch this very well-known movie, and you're probably familiar with it, if not, I'll put it on the screen, how many of you are familiar with A Christmas Story? A fantastic classic from 1983, yes kids, it is an ancient movie. 1983, this movie came out. It's, it's a uh, yes, young man named Ralphie has this desire and covetous nature, and he wants a Red Ryder air rifle. That was probably Steve's life story as a child. He wanted this so badly. He coveted it so badly. Any man, any person, any adult that he came in contact with who said, what do you want for Christmas, young man? It was that same line. I can't repeat the line. I don't remember it off the top of my head. But it was that, shoot your eye. We're going to get to that one here in a minute. But everybody, just like Steve said, every adult who he came in contact with told him the same thing. No, you'll shoot your eye out. It's dangerous. So, of course, he was heartbroken and discouraged because he, he really didn't think that anyone was going to get him this wonderful gift because it was so dangerous to him. So Christmas morning comes along, and he still has a little bit of hope, just a tiny bit of hope. He goes down, he runs down. Him and his brother destroy the house and rip apart every single present, and they're going crazy, and, and, and it's winding down. There's no more presents in sight. And then the dad, in a classic dad move, brothers, if you haven't done this before, take note. Classic dad move. He says, hey, Ralphie, what's that over there? What is that over there? And Ralphie goes over, he looks. He's like, go, go, go take a look. I think there's something over there. So he walks over there, kind of not sure what to think. And he reaches behind, I think it was the piano. He reaches behind the piano, and it's a large box. And he gets all excited. He runs back over. He rips it apart. It's the rifle. He's so excited. It's the rifle, and he immediately gets his things. He goes outside, and I'm sure you know the rest of the story. He shoots his eye out, right? But he had this hope, right? His hopes, all of those hopes came true. All of those hopes came true, and he was so excited about it. And we're going to look at Zachariah's story this morning. And no, Zachariah did not get an air rifle. But Zachariah also had this hope. Him and his wife Elizabeth had this hope, and they wanted so badly for a child. And what we'll see this morning is not only did they they have hope for this child, but as we dig deeper into his song, we'll see that he also had hope for the Messiah who was to come. And that's the story we'll read this morning. We're going to take a look at that here in just a few moments. Uh, But just as we did last week, we're going to kind of give you a little bit of background uh, because there's a lot that happened before this event. So we're going to kind of look at that. And one thing that I found to be interesting is that if we go back to Luke 1, verse 8, we'll see that he, Zechariah was a priest. Now, th- today we think of priests, and they have the, the fun little collars and the, the thing, and they stand before a congregation. The priest back in those days was extremely different. There were dozens upon dozens upon dozens of priests active in the temple, right? So, so there, there's a very different 
things that, that they perform that we don't necessarily do that today. But all the way back in 1 Chronicles 24, in fact, David divides all of these tasks. And there was 24 different tasks that the priests had to perform on a regular duty, on a regular period. And generally speaking, because of the amount of, of priests, generally they're going to perform those about one or two weeks during the course of the year. And in verses 6 through 10, we see that Zechariah, during this specific moment, was chosen to, to light the incense. And I've read at several areas and several things that state that this is probably a literally once-in-a-lifetime event, that a priest was going to be able to do this specific event in the temple. So Zechariah was doing the incense and in charge of the incense, and there's people outside waiting for him to come out. And it was during this time that he was visited by the angel. He was going to tell him that the, she's, she's jumping ahead, she's jumping ahead to the scripture reading. So while he's performing this specific duty, it could be worse, right? It could be an ESPN update or something. While he was performing this specific duty, that's when the angel came to Elizabeth to give her this news that he was indeed going to receive this child. Um, and it was, if you didn't know, obviously, and I think you, most of you do, but the children and family was incredibly important during that culture. So I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth had this heavy, heavy heart because, again, they went all these years without child. And they were old. They were well beyond childbearing years. Well beyond childbearing years. So there was zero, very slim likelihood that this event was ever going to even happen to begin with. So this chapter shows that, that Zechariah, he was a man of prayer because we see here that he continuously prayed. Because when the angel came to him, they, he said, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard, Zechariah. But we also see in verse 18 that he had a human side to him too. Because he doubted that this was even possible. Just like I'm sure any of us would do at this point as well. Right? So he, he, he had this doubt, so the angel silenced him. So he comes out, and they're all expecting him to say something, and he's like, he couldn't say a word. So it wasn't until verse 64 that he was finally able to speak again. That's when he was finally able to speak. And what I think is interesting, too, is it was an act of obedience that kind of caused his speech to return. So the angel silenced him. And back in verse 13, the angel told him that, Zechariah, you're going to name this kid John. Not Zechariah, which would, would have been the custom, but John. He said, you're going to name him John, and, and, and everybody would have expected him to do so. So instead of going with these cultural norms, he decided he was going to do exactly what the angel had told him to do. And names, too, just like having a family, were important. Anytime you see a name in the Bible, it's incredibly important. The, the name Zechariah meant that uh, the Lord is remembered, which is fitting for his story. The name John means that the Lord is gracious which is, again, fitting for this story. But what is most important is that this name was chosen and given and commanded by God. God said, you're going to name this child John. And that's why it was a very special name, and, and Zechariah knew this. So Zechariah's act of obedience illustrates his faith in what the angel had given him. So the first thing we see from him when his voice was restored was praise. It was praise, it was thanksgiving, and he blessed God. 
So that's the the background, and this is what he said, starting in verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. First off, we see this qualifier, that his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And he said these words, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we shall be saved from our enemies, and that the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy, the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. And his holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child, would be called the, most, the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit from among from us on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So that's the song of Zechariah. That's what we see from him, his first words after his, his voice was restored. The song is known as the Benedictus, another good name for a dog, which is Latin for the word blessing. It's Latin for the word blessing, and, this, and it's these first, first words that we see uh, in this song in the Latin translation. And just like we saw last week, there's really, there's two parts to this. There's two parts to this song. The first part comes in verses 67 through 75, and what we see is he not only focuses on what God has done to the nation Israel, but also emphasizes that God is, is now starting to play out this plan of salvation that he had promised from old. And what this section reveals is that while Elizabeth and Zechariah not only had this hope for their own child, but there was also hope for the arrival of the Messiah. So they had this hope in mind as he sung this song. And, and that was the one that they were waiting for. And there are several signs to this. If you look through this section, there are several signs to, to, to show this. First thing we see is, is his reference to the God of Israel redeeming his people. Now, this sounds like a past tense event, and what he's likely referring to is the Exodus, which is when God removed his people from this bondage of slavery in Egypt. And what we see there, and and the the connection we can see with Jesus is how Jesus himself is going to release us and remove us and release us from that slavery to sin. And that's what we see from that as well. Second thing we see um, that, that alludes to, to Zechariah's knowledge and understanding is he mentions this understanding of a horn of salvation in verse 69. This horn of salvation in verse 69 and a horn in general speaks to the power and, and specifically the power that the Messiah will have. So this power, and if you think about uh, this power he has, this ability to protect and to watch over, just like you would see from an animal who has a horn. An animal who has a horn uses that for protection, uh, and, it, and it really shows his power to his enemies. And ultimately, what Zechariah is doing is he's picturing, and he paints a picture of this powerful Savior that was to come. And we see that here. And the third thing we see is that Zechariah builds this theme, and he, he talks about the Savior's triumph over his enemies. So I think it's easy to say that we're going to see some victory in the second coming, but we're going to also see that there's a spiritual victory here in the first coming. 
and, and what he does there. And if we look at that, we can really make the connection that Zechariah is speaking about this victory that Christ is going to provide over our sin. And then the, f- the fourth reference to, to Abraham in, in verse 73 speaks to this promise and this covenant he had with Abraham. And this covenant and promise likely refers right back to Genesis tap- chapter 12 uh, in verse 3, which reads this way, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that was a promise that God gave Abraham when he called him. So we see that, that there's this, this promise given, and we can obviously make the connection that all people will be blessed because of that son, Jesus. The second part of Zechariah's prophecy is concerning his son and the ministry of his son, John. So the son, his purpose, John's only purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus and, and prepare the way for the Savior of the world. And we know and we see that in verse 15, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, John, that is. John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. So he already had this commission prior to his physical birth. And like his father, he will speak the words that God gave him. He speaks the words that God gave him. He gives out this message that God himself, through the Holy Spirit, was giving him. And the message from John, if you really look at it, it, it's full of hope. His message and his paving the way for Jesus is full of hope. So here's our main idea. We talked about it already just briefly earlier. Main idea from the passage is Zechariah's song is a call to unwavering hope. It's a call to unwavering hope. So if we go back to verse 13, we can see that Zechariah was a man of hope. Again, the angel told him that his prayers were heard, his prayers were answered. And that's an indicator that he continuously prayed and he prayed and he wouldn't stop praying. And that's a good lesson for us today. A lot of times we, 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 we don't get something that we desire from God and we just stop praying about it. And, and, and Zechariah never stopped praying. So let's, pro, let's uh, take a look at this passage. Let's discuss what this means and, and where to find this hope during our Christmas season. Where do we find this hope that Zechariah illustrated during this season? We can actually identify five different ways that Zechariah demonstrated this hope from his song. And we can find that same hope even today. First one we see here is that there's hope in the Lord's fulfillment of his promises. Zechariah's song helped us to see that there's hope in the fulfillment of of God's promises, of his promises. And we see this in in really three different examples. The first example he gave us in verse 69 was the promise to David. In 2 Samuel chapter chapter 7, we read about this covenant that God had with David. And what we see is that in the opening verses, just like we saw in Zechariah's song, that God gave David rest from his enemies. And we see that clearly when we look at 2 Samuel 7. We also see that God promises to build David a house, uh, which really it, it kind of points us towards the temple. And which later that temple points us towards Jesus because he was a fulfillment of that. And then later what we see is, is that through David, that there was going to be one who sits on the throne forever. And of course that points directly to Jesus. There was a short-term fulfillment with his own son Solomon, but a a long-term fulfillment in Jesus. So we see that played out in the example of David. He also, in in Isaiah chapter 11 and Jeremiah chapter 3, uh, we see that David, that through David, 
that this is the Messiah that would come. So, so he's pointing directly to Jesus. The next example that he provides is through the prophets. And he, he a prophet here, in context, is just really talking about those messengers from the Old Testament that pointed people towards Jesus. And these are the messengers of God who, who warned of future events. So in respects to Jesus' first coming, uh, one expert that I read about this week, he says there's over 125 prophecies from the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. 125. He says, too, that there was over, 100, over 329 or so prophecies that have yet to still be fulfilled because that will happen in his second coming. So we can look forward to these, these promises in the Old Testament, but all these promises of God, who, who, who was, which was directly affected by the birth of Jesus, has already been accomplished. So we can have that confidence that these other 300 plus will also be occurring. One of the examples, as mentioned uh, uh, previously in Isaiah and, and, and Jeremiah, we also see it in the prophecy of Micah. They all speak to different aspects of the birth of Jesus. So they all pull pieces of it. And once we kind of piece all that together, we can see where all these were fulfilled. And there's other prophets mentioned as well that, that speak about his birth. Furthermore, we can see that in Isaiah, namely in chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, that he was going to be born of a virgin, which we saw that last week. We saw in Isaiah 9, uh, verses 6 and 7, we can read that Jesus, again, will be born through the line of David. So there's so many allusions in the Old Testament to what we saw here and what we see in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. So Zechariah, John's father, is acknowledging that God has fulfilled his promises through this coming of the Messiah, and he's, he's praising God for these things. And then uh, finally, he, he gives the example, of course, of Abraham. Abraham, again, as we looked at a minute ago in, in Genesis 12, uh, and later we see this in, in chapter 22 of Genesis, that, that all nations will be blessed. And that, again, of course, directly relates to who Jesus is and the work that he will do. Zechariah celebrates that the Lord was fulfilling his promises. And, and many of us have received blessings from the Lord, and that's a good reminder for us to, to do that as well, to reflect back on what the Lord has done. So think about, this must have been great, great relief for Zechariah and the people of his time. Because at this point, God has been, quote-unquote, silent for almost 40, 400 years. So when the angel comes to, to Mary and, and Elizabeth and then to Zechariah, we can see that they can hear the Lord once again. And that must have given them so much relief and so much comfort during this time. So we see that he had hope in that. We also see that, that Zechariah had hope in the Lord for his mercy. And that's the second thing that we can learn from, from Zechariah's song. Is that he had hope in the Lord for his mercy. We see this really in a couple of ways. We see that with this physical deliverance, this, this protection over his enemies, this protection over the physical enemies. And then he, what he does is he builds on this. We, built, we kind of touched on this a minute ago. But the Messiah, he believed was going to be a strong and mighty warrior. And that was the common belief in those times. And we'll see that again later on. But Messiah here, what we do is what we can make the connection that he is going to release us and save us from our enemies. But we're going to see that in a different way. Because many in those times were expecting a military type savior that was going to protect them from those physical enemies. 
And that's why we can speak to this with this idea of spiritual deliverance. And the second part, this idea of spiritual deliverance. And of course, this speaks directly to Jesus's plan of redemption and God's plan of redemption being carried out through the arrival of Christ and his death, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then we we have to make note that Zechariah was speaking these words on behalf of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit commissioned him and said, these are the words you are to speak. So he opened his mouth and these are the words that the Lord had spoken. And I think that's an incredible thing that we need to understand as well. One thing that we can argue is he's probably speaking of both this physical as well as the spiritual deliverance. I think that's clear here as well. Next thing we see here is that there's hope in God's plan of salvation. John's whole purpose of his ministry, and we'll see this and touch on this briefly in a little bit, his whole purpose of his ministry was to prepare the way for the Lord. So we've seen this example uh, in, in God's fulfillment of pro- uh, promises, um, and we, we, we are reminded that this song in the song, that this was God's plan all along. This wasn't something that God's like, you know what, I haven't talked to these guys in a minute. Let me get in here and, 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 and reveal this new plan. This was God's plan all along. And, and, it, and it reminds us, just as we saw that with Mary's song, Mary was reminded and said, look, I need a savior. And she knew that it was in the form of her son. And we also are in need of a savior. And then this Jesus gives us peace like we talked about with the kids this morning. And this Jesus gives us an opportunity to be reconciled with God. And then finally we see, or the next thing we see is that there's hope to serve the Lord without fear. Hope to serve the Lord without fear. And this too is one of those that could possibly be looked at from a, from a current or a, a future, a present or future fulfillment and deliverance of the physical enemies of the time. There's also some illusions that these various enemies, that, and, and it's possible that it's, it's alluding to these ideas of these Christian enemies and these spiritual enemies that, that Christians face on a daily basis. Sin, self, Satan, right? These, these spiritual enemies that every one of us, if we have put our faith in Jesus, are facing and battling each and every day. And the, ba- the Bible, um, which... Our church, this church, significantly holds as something that is, is, is authoritative. The Bible teaches that each and every one of us sin. And it also teaches that the wages of that sin is death. And we're given life in Jesus Christ. So when we, we do surrender to, to Jesus and we give our life to him, these enemies will, while these enemies will continue to hold us captive until we do so. And that's important for us to understand. So in Christ, we're, we're set free from this captivity from, of sin. We're set free from that, that sin. And when we're victorious, we're no longer living in fear. When Christ gives that victory to us in salvation, we're no longer living in that fear. And then finally we see here is that there's hope for peace in Jesus Christ. There's hope for peace in Jesus the word peace that's used here, and that's used frequently in the, in the New Testament, alludes back to that idea of, of, of peace from the Old Testament, which is a state of well-being, it's a, a full state of well-being. And it's a type of peace that's really only possible in Jesus. It's only possible in Jesus to have that peace, that whole feeling, that whole well-being. And that there's, there's peace because there's light and darkness, and there's victory over death. And that's only possible in Jesus. Both verse 68 and verse 78, uh, Luke uses this word visit. 
And this word visit literally means to look after, which is a great picture of what part of his ministry does. So when he's saying that this this sunrise shall visit from on high, he's alluding to this light that we saw in verse 79. And the Net Bible, which has these really neat uh, notes to it, it says this about this this idea of a saving light. It says the picture is is uh, the Messiah is pictured as a, as a saving light that shows the way. And the Greek term was also used to translate the Hebrew word for branch or sprout. So some see it as a as a kind of a double entendre here with messianic overtones. So this idea that he's paving the way, he's showing us the light, he's giving us direction of where we should be. So this morning we've seen that Zechariah's song is a call to unwavering hope, and he gave us these five examples of, of what he hoped for and what we can have that hope in even today. And I know we haven't touched a lot on John and his ministry, um, so we'll do that here in, in just a few moments. And again, as a reminder, verse 76 tells us that his ministry was solely to pave the way for Jesus. And that's really interesting and it's really neat. Um, and and, and that, that not only was Zachariah's hope for his son was fulfilled, um, but we also see here that um, even our roles, if you think about it, are kind of like John's. If you really think about it, our jobs and our part of our ministry on earth here is to, to pave the way for others, to, to see Jesus. And we do that verbally, we do that the way we live, right? So preparing, obviously, if you think about preparing the way for, for Jesus was a little bit different than what John experienced. You know, I'm thinking about, like, my past. I'm like, okay, well, um, in some of the jobs that I've had, I've, I've left those jobs for various reasons, mostly promotions, gratefully. I've left jobs for various reasons, and everything, every time I left a job, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make sure that my predecessor or my successor was going to come in and they were going to have all this stuff to do. So I tried everything I could to, to, to take care of any long-term projects that I needed to wrap up to make sure that all the low-hanging fruit was removed. I wanted to make sure that I did everything I can so when that person arrived, they can just focus on doing what they need to do moving forward and not look at the past. Of course, I didn't always, you know, wasn't always successful, but Obviously, that's a little bit different about preparing the way than what we saw with John. John's ministry was a lot more meaningful than that, wasn't it? So what we are doing today, though, is we're still taking part, but in, of course, a smaller way. But there's so many of us doing the work that John was doing prior to Christ's arrival. And I think once one of those things that we see from that great commission of Jesus when he left this earth is that he gave us all that commission to go out and make more disciples. And that's what we see here. So um, his role was to, to tell people the salvation and to tell people of the forgiveness of sins. And we have that same role even today. So let's discuss that here. What does that, that look like today? What does preparing the way of the Lord look like today? First thing we see here is we, it's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is critical in this role. Back in verse 67, Zechariah prophesied that, that he was filled and while he prophesied, we see that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Gospel of John, Jesus promised his disciples of this Holy Spirit and that we would receive that. And we know from this account that the Holy Spirit dwells in each and every person who has become a genuine follower of Jesus. And elsewhere, we learn that the Holy Spirit, it guides us, he, he directs us, he comforts us. 
and he convicts us and he gives us understanding of certain things. So I think without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah would not have had the message he had to sing and John would not have had the message he had to bring to the people. And I think it's important that we are, are to, to understand that within ourselves and we rely on the Holy Spirit to do what we've been commissioned to do, and that's to make more disciples. And we must lean on and rely on the Holy Spirit to do so. Next thing we do here, directly related, is we're sharing the message of Jesus with someone else. Christmas time is one of those great, great times to do that. Christmas time is one of those nice times where people are a little bit more accepting of, you know, this whole birth of Jesus thing when probably, the, you know, June or July they wouldn't be. Because it's all over. You know, they're passing by the neighbor's house that has a nativity scene in it. Right? You see Christmas, you know, I was at uh, Walmart yesterday taking care of some business and, and there was, uh, for King and Country, one of those songs, a Christian artist and Christian uh, singing group was, was on the, the overhead which I thought was kind of interesting, you know. So Jesus is, is there, and he's present during this time of year, which makes it great for us to be able to kind of sneak in there and start talking about the Savior of the world. But we are to be sharing the message of Jesus with others, and we all have opportunities to do that daily. We really do. We really have that opportunity to do that daily in various ways. And that's an important message then, and it's equally important now. Because we're all here now waiting for the second coming of Jesus. We're all here waiting now, second coming of Jesus. And what's difficult in in today's culture, let's think about it. People aren't willing to hear that they need a Savior. People don't want to understand and they they don't think they need a Savior. They think that what they're doing is good enough. And that's why they have to understand that there is a need for a Savior for each and every one of us. And in and, and, and Romans chapter 10, Paul reminds us that, 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 that no one's going to come to the Lord without hearing the gospel. And later on in that same chapter, he says that no one hears without a preacher, without somebody to bring the good news. And that's why it's important for us to do that as well. Because if somebody hasn't heard the good news, he, he, he's given us the opportunity and the commission to do so. So are you sharing the gospel and the message of salvation to others? Next thing we see here and the last thing is that we're growing. We're growing. We didn't cover this in the main text today, but verse 80 talks about this. It says in verse 80, that the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was the one, he, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So John was growing physically as well as spiritually. Matthew 3, 1 and, and eleven seven gives us the impression that while he was in the wilderness, he was preaching. Not sure who he was preaching to, but he was preaching. And then John's growth, as we see, is not only a physical growth, but it's a, it's a spiritual growth. And how do we do that today? We do that by gathering together. We do that by reading the scriptures together. We do that by reading the scriptures privately. We do that by praying corporately. We do that by praying together. We do that by praying individually. And we do that by serving others. Those are the ways that we can, we can do these things. So maybe today you're, you're discouraged, or maybe that Christmas, those Christmas blues got you down a little bit. And there's probably many, many reasons for that. And frankly, this could be a difficult time for a lot of people. The holidays bring about a lot of difficulties in people's lives. 
stresses because of personal issues, family issues, financial issues, life goes on and on, busyness at work, trying to get the year wrapped up. There's a lot going on that, that can cause, dis, cause distress and cause stress in our lives. But this song today hopefully reminded you that there can, you can experience hope even in those difficult times. Zechariah never lost hope even though he waited decades for this gift, but he never left and gave up hope. And not only that, that he received that gift that he was expecting and hoping for in his child, but obviously that gift of the, Holy, of, of the son Jesus, of Messiah. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they didn't expect, frankly, they didn't expect for this gift to happen. Just like Mary and Joseph didn't expect that gift to happen to them. So, but just like, and, but the, with the Lord, as we saw, and as we know, with the Lord, all things are possible. With the Lord, all things are possible. Zechariah was an ordinary, ordinary man, but he gave birth to John, who was going to, not he, Elizabeth, gave birth to John, who was going to pave the way for the Savior. Mary and Joseph were ordinary people, but they gave birth to the Messiah who would save mankind. All things are possible through Jesus. All things are possible with God. His, his response to that gift is, I think, something that we can just kind of hang our hat on. His response for that gift was praise. It was worship. So anytime we receive anything, he responded in that way. He responded with a blessing and with praise. And that's what I would encourage you to do as well today. So how will you respond to that today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you, God, for, for who you are and always fulfilling your promises. We can be confident because of what we've experienced in our own lives, but really as we look back at the, at the prophets of old, as we look at the scriptures, and as we just kind of play through these things even in our own lives, we can see that you are, are faithful even when we're not. You are always faithful even when we're not faithful. And I always... It's one of those prayers that I say often. You know, I'm so glad you're faithful when I'm not because if, if you decided to go away from me because I was unfaithful in a few moments here and there, I'd be in deep, deep trouble. So I'm so grateful, God, that you are faithful and you remain faithful even in those moments when I am not. And we, we can rely and we can see from the story of Zechariah, we can see in, in, in the story of, of Elizabeth that, that God, you still provide even, even when it seems like it's, it's out of reach. So I pray for anybody here this morning who are watching online, who will listen to this later, that if there's something that they're hanging their hat on and they're hoping and hoping and hoping that you just, just do a miracle in their lives and you give them that continued hope and that they seek you more and more during that time. Because that's what we need to do. We need to continue to seek you and not give up. Um, because maybe, maybe just maybe you're, you're asking them to just to, to pray more and to seek you more in those times. So we just pray, God, for, for you to, to remind us of that hope that we can have because of your son Jesus and the life, death, burial, and resurrection and that promise of his second coming. And that's what we look forward to today. In Jesus' name, amen.